Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today I want to share a message called Dual Imminence. Uh, it's the consistent teaching of the New Testament that the coming of Jesus for his church is imminent. That is, he could come at any time. And his coming will be unexpected, without signs, without warning. No predicted events necessarily have to happen first. So the timing of his coming is totally unpredictable because God has chosen to keep it as his secret. Therefore, no one can know it in advance when he's coming. And the nature of this teaching of imminence is, is therefore man, our lack of knowledge. God's purpose in not revealing this information is that we would have to now be constantly ready, alert and watchful for his return, eagerly waiting for him. In other words, it keeps us on our toes. If we knew, for example, he wasn't coming for another 10 or 20 years, then it wouldn't be necessary to be ready right now. We could delay our readiness until the time was closer. But the New Testament urges us to live in a constant state of alertness and readiness for his coming. You know, if you had an important visitor coming to your house, you'd want to have your house prepared and ready for his arrival. But if you knew he wouldn't come for a significant time, you wouldn't uh, have to get your house ready now. You could wait till the time was closer. But if he kept his time of arrival a secret, then he could come at any time, which means that you and your house would need to be kept in a constant state of readiness. And that's the attitude that Jesus told us to have, to expect his return at any time and so live in a constant state of readiness. And when we study the scriptures on imminence, we actually discover there are two events that are imminent. Firstly, the rapture of the church, and secondly, the start of the eschatological day of the Lord, a time of judgment on the earth, otherwise known as the tribulation or the end of the age. Both of these events are imminent, and it follows that they must be simultaneous with each other, because if one came before the other, the second event wouldn't be imminent. Therefore, when Christ comes for his church, he also comes to initiate the day of the Lord on the earth. Thus his com coming ha will have two purposes which are accomplished at the same time. First he will come suddenly to bring judgment on the earth and at the same time he will rescue his own people from that coming judgment. That means the tribulation will begin on the very same day as the rapture and the rapture is therefore pre-tribulational. We're going to see that some of these scriptures describe his imminent coming to deliver, rescue, and bless his people, while other scriptures describe his imminent coming to bring the day of the Lord judgments on the earth. Some scriptures also hold both ideas together in a single event. The foundation for this belief is the teaching of Jesus, which is then taken up and confirmed by the apostles Paul, Peter, and John. Let's look at Luke 12. Jesus said, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he returns from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. So here we see that the servants are to be constantly ready and watching for their master's arrival because he could come at any time. His coming will bring blessing to the servants who believe in his instructions and who are faithful. Then the imagery changes in a surprising way, introducing a theme that is repeated by the Pete Jesus and the apostles. The coming of the Son of Man is compared to the coming of a thief. 
Verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he could have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Again, this teaches that his coming is imminent. Just like a thief doesn't announce the time of his arrival, he comes when you don't expect him. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. The Son of Man, like a thief, comes suddenly without warning. So why did Jesus use the image of a thief? It's because a thief doesn't come to bless, but rather to bring loss. A thief is not welcome, but rather he breaks in by force, and the result of his visit is destruction and loss of property. Thus, the primary application of Jesus coming like a thief is his imminent coming to bring judgment, the day of the Lord, on the earth. And so another reason to be ready for his coming is that if you're not ready, you'll experience his coming as a thief the coming of a thief. That is, you'll be overtaken by his sudden judgment and you'll suffer loss as a result. Now notice this description does not fit at all with the second coming because the second coming is not imminent but is heralded by a sequence of signs lasting at least seven years and also a thief does not come to totally kill and remove all the occupants of the house in order to take over the house himself so it just doesn't fit the second coming. Then Peter said to him, wanting clarification, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Now, Peter understands that the parables of the imminent return of the master to his house and the imminent coming of the thief to, to a house actually forms two aspects of one parable, since in both cases they describe the imminent coming of Christ. Peter's asking whether these effects events just affect believers or also unbelievers as well. Clearly, the coming of the master describes the experience of believers, but the coming of the thief who desc describes the experience of unbelievers. So the whole parable of the, includes both of the coming of Christ applies to both unbelievers and believers, and it shows that they will experience his coming in two di very different ways. For for believers, his imminent coming will initiate a time of great blessing for them. For unbelievers, the same coming will in initiate a time of great destruction and loss. And this is dual imminence. For his own, his coming to rescue and bless them is imminent. And for the world, his coming to bring them into a time of judgment is imminent. The connection is clear. These speak of the same coming. Both his coming to his own to bless and his coming as a thief to those who don't know him, bringing sudden judgment, are imminent because it's the same coming of Christ. And so at the same time that Christ comes for his church in the rapture, he will also initiate a time of worldwide judgment called the day of the Lord or the tribulation, which will come to its climax in the great and awesome day of the Lord when he's manifested in glory to the whole world. This is only possible with a pre-trib rapture, and it also means the tribulation must begin on the day of the rapture. Dual imminence is actually encoded in the analogy of Christ coming as a thief, because he is experienced in two different ways depending on the observer. First, the coming of the thief is a negative experience to the occupants of the house, but for the precious things that he removes from the house, they experience a change of location. The one who seems to act like a thief takes that which is valuable with himself. That's the essential thing that makes him a thief. So that can't be ignored, the aspect that he's taking something from the house. 
And so if Jesus is coming like, like a thief, it follows he's coming to take some things from the house of the earth, which he considers precious and valuable. This, of course, refers to the rapture of the church. When Jesus returns, he will remove all the believers from the house so that they will be with him. Now, we see, of course, that he's not actually a thief because he's only coming to take what belongs to him, his precious saints, who he's purchased with his blood and who have surrendered their lives to him. But as far as the rest of the world is concerned, their experience is that a thief has suddenly come and surprised them by removing, let's say, a billion people, and then quickly after that the world will be plunged into a time of judgment, the day of the Lord. However, for his own, they do not experience his coming as a judgment, but as a blessing. We are taken from the house to be with Jesus forever. For the world, they'll experience his coming as a thief in the night, but for his own, we will experience his coming as the bridegroom coming for his bride. Therefore, the thief analogy encodes dual imminence. Jesus also compared his coming to the sudden surprise coming of a thief later, in the Olivet Discourse, in Matthew 24, he said, But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. These descriptions of his sudden coming as a thief, as well as the many other descriptions of his imminent coming, cannot possibly describe his coming at the end of the tribulation in power and glory, for this event is clearly signposted by all the predicted events of the tribulation with clear timings, so it will be possible for anyone in the tribulation to know exactly when he'll return. In Revelation 16, Jesus confirms that his sudden imminent coming as a thief to initiate judgment on the earth um, is also to bring blessing to those who are prepared for him. So he says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. And then he says, Blessed is those who stay awake and keep his clothes at hand, so that he will not be caught naked and his shameful condition to be seen. So he's coming as a thief, and many will suffer as a result. They'll be caught out, but those who are ready for him will be blessed. That's dual imminence. Also, Christ warns the nominal Christians of Sardis, who represent all nominal believers in all churches, that he will suddenly, without warning, come upon them in judgment as a thief in the night. Revelation 3 says, Repent, therefore if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. It be a surprise, it's imminent. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is for all the churches. Now, this would have especially resonated with the Sardis church as Sardis was built on an elevated cliff and they felt invulnerable and secure and so often they were not alert and watchful and twice in their history, Sardis was taken by surprise by a sudden attack by the enemy who scaled the cliffs at night and came like a thief and took their valuables and destroyed their city. Jesus is warning them that if they do not repent, they will receive, experience his coming in the same way. And they will find themselves in the day of the Lord, facing loss and destruction. And we've seen the scriptures that say that Christ comes as a thief, 
But other scriptures give another sign to this truth, namely that the day of the Lord will come as a thief. 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, obviously alluding to Jesus's verse about the thief in the night. Harmonizing these two truths, that Jesus comes as a thief and the day of the Lord comes as a thief, uh, we can say that it must mean that Jesus, when Jesus comes suddenly as a thief, he will initiate the day of the Lord, the tribulation on the earth. So at the same time that he comes to rapture his church, he also comes to initiate the tribulation on the earth. And so we see Paul got this concept straight from the teaching of Jesus. Paul continues to define the day of the Lord uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, for when they, that's the believers in the world, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them. On them, that's the unbelievers, as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they, the unbelievers, shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. You're not in the kingdom of darkness. So that this day, this day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. See, this describes the sudden destruction that will overtake the world when the day of the Lord suddenly comes upon them as a thief. The beginning of the day of the Lord is described as the sudden onset of labor pains, which is the description used elsewhere for the unique time of tribulation that comes immediately before the manifestation of the Messiah in glory. The Jews refer to this time as the labor pains of the Messiah, the birth pains of the Messiah. Paul is especially thinking about the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 24 in response to his disciples' questions in verse 3 where they ask him, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They're interested in the end of the age, the tribulation, and his coming. And in he first of all describes the events of the end or consummation of the age which leads up to his second coming in power and glory. That's in verse 7 to 30. He compares this time to the birth pains suffered by a woman about to give birth. He says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there'll be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. That's all around the world. All of these are the beginning of sorrows, literally the beginning of birth pains right at the end of a pregnancy, right at the end of the age, there will be this time of birth pains, just before the birth of the kingdom of God on the earth. It's clear that Jesus equates this time of worldwide birth pains leading up to the second coming, when the kingdom of God is manifested or born on the earth, he equates that with the end of the age, the consummation, the final period of the age. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 equates this unique time of birth pains when destruction comes suddenly on the whole earth. He calls it the day of the Lord, showing that the day of the Lord is not limited to the second coming, but describes the whole period of worldwide judgment leading up to the second coming. Again, he said, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, sudden destruction comes on them, unbelievers, as labor pains on the pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So he says that the time of labor pains is the day of the Lord. And they shall not escape is basically saying it's a worldwide judgment. 
Jesus also described this time as a special time of tribulation that would get increasingly worse and ultimately turn into the Great Tribulation. He said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then he says, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world till this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, our word tribulation it translates the Greek word thlipsis, which can be used to describe the anguish of childbirth. In fact, Jesus used it that way himself in John 16. He said that a woman, when he is, she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she's given birth to the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, the thlipsis, the tribulation, the travail, for joy that a human being has been brought into the world, born into the world. So the two phrases used by Jesus to describe this time, tribulation and labor pains, are related. We could call the tribulation and the great tribulation the travail and the great travail. It's the tribulation is the time of birth pains. That's the day of the Lord also. So the day of the Lord is the same as the time of birth pains at the end of the age, which is also the period of time known as the tribulation. And this is confirmed by John in Revelation which describes the tribulation in Revelation chapter 6 to 19. And there, Christ is the one who initiates uh, this time of divine judgment in Revelation 6, when he breaks the first six seals in quick succession, and the result that's released on the earth from this judgment corresponds exactly to Jesus' description of the birth pains of the tribulation. And that shows that the time of travail or birth pains is the tribulation is also the day of the Lord when God moves in judgment. Therefore, this is not just a time of great evil and persecution and suffering, but a time of divine judgment and wrath. It's this aspect of divine judgment which primarily differentiates the tribulation from the church age. Now, in describing the sudden onset of the day of the Lord tribulation, Paul emphasizes its imminence in a number of ways. Number one, he says it comes suddenly on the world like a thief in the night. It's a time of judgment initiated by a coming of Christ. It comes as a thief in the night. Then just before it happens, the world is saying peace and safety. Thus, there are no signs in the world indicating judgment's about to fall. This is in stark contrast to the time before the second coming, which will be a time of great tribulation worse than any other time in history, with the bowls of wrath being poured out and Armageddon underway. So bad, in fact, Jesus said that unless he cut this time short by his return, no flesh would, would survive. Then it says, Christ will initiate the day of the Lord, which will suddenly overtake the world with the sudden destruction of the tribulation, a worldwide judgment from which no one on earth will escape. However, this will not be the experience of believers. Notice the contrast of believers with unbelievers in verse 4. It says, the, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, for when they, unbelievers, say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape, but you, brethren. See the opposition? You, brethren, are not in darkness. You're not in the kingdom of darkness that this day of the Lord should overtake you as a thief. In other words, you're not in the kingdom of darkness, therefore you do not qualify for the wrath of God. 
In contrast to the world, the believers will not be overtaken by the day of the Lord and experience it as a thief. They will not come into this time of worldwide judgment because Christ will rescue them from the worldwide judgment by the rapture. And he confirms that in verse 8. He says, but let us who are of the day of the kingdom of light be sober, putting on as a helmet the hope of salvation. This refers to the future salvation of our body in the rapture and our future deliverance from the wrath of the tribulation. He says, for God did not appoint us to wrath. In the context, this wrath is the imminent coming wrath of the day of the Lord, not the wrath of hell, because in Christ we've already been delivered from that. This confirms that the day of the Lord is a time of divine wrath. He says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God, instead of wrath, we will receive salvation through the rapture, as the next verse confirms. Verse 10, who died for us. In other words, the salvation in the rapture is by God's grace, based on the death of Christ for us. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, see that's the language of the rapture in chapter 4, we sh- whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That's the rapture. Therefore, comfort one another. This is the same language as the classic rapture passage in the previous chapter. Let's go there. Chapter 4. This we say to you by the word of the Lord. Notice the revelation of the rapture. Paul's revelation originates from the teaching of the Lord Jesus, especially in the Olivet Discourse that we'll see next time. He says that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will no longer precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The imminence of this event is seen in the fact that Paul described those who'd be alive at the time of the rapture as we. He lived in the possibility that he would be raptured rather than resurrected from the dead. In other words, the rapture was for him an imminent hope, something that could happen at any time. The same imminence is seen in his parallel description of the rapture a few years later in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Not only does he show his belief in imminency by saying we shall not all sleep, and we shall not, we shall all be changed, but the sudden nature of the event taking us by surprise, without signs, without warning, is seen by the fact that it takes place in a moment, an atomic second, in the twinkling of an eye. So again we see dual imminence. The coming of Christ to rapture his church is imminent, and the coming of Christ as a thief to initiate the day of the Lord judgments on the world is imminent. Therefore, they must be simultaneous events. And this becomes clearer when we see Thessalonians 4 and 5 as a single connected passage. In chapter 4, he describes the imminent rapture. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, he transitions to discuss the timing of the rapture. He says, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, we have no need that I should write to you. This is when he connects it with the sudden, imminent arrival of the day of the Lord as a thief in the night. For he says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. 
Since we know that Jesus comes to the world as a thief, it's clear that Jesus initiates the day of the Lord by his coming, which must be the very coming of chapter 4, his coming in the rapture, to rapture the church. And so the coming in the rapture is to rescue us from the day of the Lord, which he initiates at the same time. And this is confirmed in verse 9. It says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, the wrath of the day of the Lord, but to obtain salvation in the rapture through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so both the coming of Christ to rapture his saints and, the, and his coming to initiate the day of the Lord are imminent because they're simultaneous. And this is wonderfully confirmed by Paul's opening words in the book, in Thessalonians 1. He says, you turn from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers or rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, believers are defined as those who wait for Christ's coming. This speaks of his imminent coming for them, for you only wait for someone who could come at any moment. If you know they're not arriving for some time, then you don't wait for their arrival. So this must be his coming to rapture them, which he explains further in chapter 4, as confirmed by the phrase, whom he raised from the dead. For it's on the basis of Christ's resurrection that we receive the transformation of our body at the rapture or resurrection. But our rapture is also described as a rescue from the wrath to come. And this must refer to the wrath of the day of the Lord on the earth because the rapture is directly connected to Jesus' return from heaven to earth. Some of Paul's emphasis on imminence here is lost in translation because when he says Jesus delivers us or uh, rescues us, he uses the present participle. Literally, it means he is delivering us, something that is a potential present reality. This futuristic use of the present speaks of the imminence of a rescue that could happen at any time. Moreover, the wrath to come is literally the coming wrath, where again, coming is a futuristic use of the present participle, meaning its breaking on the scene is imminent. It could happen at any moment. So it should be translated, we wait for his son from heaven, even Jesus, who by his coming to us is delivering, rescuing us from the coming wrath, the wrath that's already on its way and is about to come upon the earth. And so both the coming of Jesus to rescue and deliver us from the coming wrath and the wrath of the day of the Lord itself are imminent events, another example of dual imminency. This can only be the case if both events are simultaneously or two aspects of the same event because the rescue must happen before the wrath begins. But if the wrath began sometime after the rapture, then it wouldn't be imminent, but it would be signposted by the rapture. So when Jesus comes to rescue his church in the rapture, he's also coming to initiate the day of the Lord wrath on the earth. In this way, the glorious rapture, where we receive our, the salvation of our bodies, is also a rescue from the wrath of the tribulation. And this dual imminence confirms the pre-trib rapture and the fact that the tribulation starts on the same day as the rapture because it's the only viewpoint that's consistent with and explains dual imminence of the rapture and the day of the Lord. So Jesus is coming soon. Wake up, make sure you're ready for him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Live your life accordingly. Wait expectantly for his imminent return at any moment. Make sure you'll not be overtaken by the terrible events of the day of the Lord. And next time, we're going to see more of Jesus' teaching on dual imminence and show how Peter and John developed this teaching and base their teaching on the teaching of Jesus.